right, Jeff Petty. What's going on, man? <laughs> Not much, man. How are you? I am doing very good. How are you, sir? Ah, uh, you know, life's been treating me good. Getting through COVID, making our way through this crazy time in our world. Getting through COVID. So you, you. I don't know if I can ask these things with like HIPAA, but uh, you, you, you threw it out there. So, yeah. you know, do you want to mention anything about that, or should we just move on? <laughs> I had a small bout of COVID a few months ago. A small but, bout. Uh, thankfully, made it through unscathed and. Um, feeling good now so good man yeah well you look good happy to have you on on the the podcast man before we get into you know the meat of some mgu and some stop loss stuff (laughs) i feel very obligated to talk some metal for a second man so (laughs) uh pose a few questions to you put you on the spot here favorite tool track on fear inoculum what is it uh gosh what is it it's a seventh or eighth track uh tempest tempest yes okay yes okay well i was gonna say uh, Numa for me. That's why I, I sent you this morning. And I was Absolutely. like, I'm getting ready for the podcast. Absolutely, for Jeff. no, no. It's, Tempest is my move. But is that what's the favorite of all time, though? Regardless Ooh. of album. Wow, dude. even tougher question. Right? I tell you what, I there's one with a name that I can't say on the podcast. Ah. Um, but uh, there's the old stuff. Um, I love stuff off opiate. Okay, yeah. So, so I go way OG old school. Tool. I'm yeah. an old man, so old men like old, like old music. Yeah, I can't help it. Well, I don't blame you, man. Actually, like I think I was thinking about that. My favorite track is I'm going to throw one out of left field here. Yeah. Uh, the Salival box set. There's a live version of Push It, and Ooh. it is super super cool. So if you never heard it, definitely check okay. it out. It's I'm trippy. Have to do that. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I was even thinking about this. Maybe you and I just have a tool podcast one day. Instead. We might have to. We might have to. Let's screw yeah. this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But exactly. like for the audience that is you know, those people <laughs> that are listening that didn't come here for tool discussion, we'll get into uh, what we're going to talk about today. So you know, Jeff, uh, I've been sharing with everybody the the general theme of the podcast is of course self funding, kind mm-hmm. of all things self funding, the different moving parts, and inviting industry experts that have a particular area of expertise to share their particular role in this. So of course, obviously wanted you to come on today to talk stop loss, stop mm-hmm. loss, and then more specifically the MGU's role in stop loss and how that may different from sure. the direct writer. But before we get into that, you know, take a couple moments. You know, who are you, Jeff Petty? Yeah. What's your, your history and what's yep. brought you here today? So um, I'm kind of a rare breed in this business a little bit. People will say, you know, why'd you, what'd you go to college for? People say, oh, I went finance. I went accounting. Mm-hmm. I went all these different things. I actually majored in insurance. No kidding. Yeah. Where at? At Baylor University. What was it? Was insurance degree or what is it? It was actually an insurance degree. There was about 30 or 40 schools nationwide that offered it. Um, And I got into it and I came into the business. Honestly, my father was in the business. Um, You want to talk about an OG? He was a guy (laughs) had done it since I was itty bitty. And so kind of been around it, did summers with him, kind of been around the self-funded business Mm -hmm. and then went off to college and said, there's no way I'm doing that. I'm going to be a journalism major. Ah, did that for about year, year and a half, and then realized oh, that may not be my path. Got on the insurance path, majored in it, got a job in it out of school. Uh, what did you do right out of school? What were you doing? Specific? I was doing small group ancillary stuff. Okay. Um, dental, vision, small life insurance amounts, like 15, 20K, stuff like that. And then uh, transitioned out of that and did some individual health insurance stuff, which was dialing for dollars, uh, which... <laughs> Toughen the old skin pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, did that and then actually landed with a TPA in Dallas in 1995. Okay. And have been doing self-funded and or stop loss ever since. 
Wow. So is there, was there something about self-funding and stop loss that just clicked with you? I mean, I had a moment for me, but is it, was it like, Oh, this is the path within the insurance channel I want to be a part of? Well, you know, again, I have to give my father all the credit. Okay. Uh, he, he was an MGU. So, and, and ran an MGU. And so I kind of got a little peek behind the curtain, sure, even sure. though I didn't fully understand all the inner workings. Uh, he really allowed me to see how self-funded works. And one of the things that I liked about the MGU, like that I liked about self-funded and, and in particular the MGU space mm -hmm. was <clears throat> you're kind of uh, one step removed from the client. Okay. So generally who you're dealing with are brokers administrators, carriers, reinsurers, kind of that, that block of people that truly understand self-funded. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about ex explaining a lot of things because it's kind of a cooked in with, you know, if you're talking to a TPA about a group and you say, oh, the ag attachment point is X, Y, Z and the spec rates are this, mm -hmm. they go, oh yeah, absolutely. I know exactly what that means. Okay. Conveying that to a broker who maybe hasn't done this before, a uh, little different. <laughs> I get a know? big old grin on my face because, <laughs> dude, I, I totally understand what you mean. And I, I, you know, some of me appreciates, and one of the reasons I'm doing this is to introduce a new audience yeah. to this stuff. But also, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I can go real deep with jargon and terminology mm -hmm. with certain people, and they get it. You're, like, almost speaking a different language, which mm -hmm. is interesting inherently within insurance itself acronyms and jargon and fake words that we've made up. <laughs> and stop loss has its literal own language that I love, yes. but it makes you feel like one of the cool kids too, right? Like it does. I know what an attachment point is or an expat or stuff like that. So we, we've, we said the word MGU a couple mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. Would you mind kind of defining what that exactly sure. means? So an MGU is a managing general underwriter. Um, so, you know, you can, you can, you can go into distinct lanes in this business, right? So you've got the Bucas. Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna. They're more of what you would consider the traditional fully insured carriers. Yep. Then you've got your direct stop-loss riders. And there's a few of them out there. I worked for one for a while. Um, and, and there's brought Sun Life, uh, HCC, Highmark, people like that. Then you have MGUs, mm -hmm. Managing General Underwriters. And an MGU is basically someone that says, hey, listen, I'll do everything for you front to back. I'll represent a carrier. Mm -hmm. um, we'll set it up to where they don't take all the risk. We can share it amongst reinsurers. And we'll represent you, XYZ carrier. And we'll do everything soup to nuts. Okay. We'll quote it. We'll, we'll have the manual ready to underwrite it. We'll uh, pay the claims. We'll collect the premium. You know, uh, we do it front to back. Mm -hmm. And then for that... You know, an MGU obviously takes a fee. So a lot of times where people get sideways, you know, because they, they want to understand an MGU versus their direct rider. And people say, well, I don't really understand. I don't really understand. The direct rider makes a lot more sense. And you say, I don't know a direct rider on the planet that doesn't have some form of reinsurance involved in mm -hmm. themselves. I mean, it's, it's maybe a higher threshold. Sure. But they're still going to do some risk sharing at some point. But where the MGU, the MGU can pick up massive efficiencies, in my opinion, um, by doing it the way they do it, because you're kind of not, for lack of a better word, whenever you work for a direct writer, you're working in a quote unquote corporate environment, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, three approvals to get this done or five approvals to get that done or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. As an MGU, yes, you have parameters, but they're more loosely defined and you've got people within the MGU 
that are generally the reason an MGU was started was to pick up efficiencies. Okay. To underwrite quicker, pay a claim quicker. Uh, you need an answer today. I got you an answer today. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, so that is really kind of the, kind of the, we, we, I always like to say MGUs just pedal a little faster. Okay. Well, it does sound like there's a flexibility that's inherent into it. I actually, yes. I, well, you know, I don't know if you ever checked out some of the stop loss videos I made, but I made mm-hmm. one specifically I on did. They were MGU. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks man. And not, not about me, but I did cover the MGU space mm-hmm. because I, I wanted to advocate for that space. Whereas there's some, like you're saying, there seems to be a general I don't want to say misconception, but yeah. misunderstanding exactly what an MGU is and what differentiates that from mm-hmm. a direct writer. Would you say that the main distinction, though, is the direct writer is working on their own paper, right? They're, they're actually uh, uh, taking on the risk, yes. whereas you're working on behalf of a carrier's paper. Who, and, may, who may then split up the risk a little yes. bit. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, so the direct writer, for anybody out there that's heard that term, yep. we mentioned a Sun Life or a Voya or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. They're doing the underwriting and they're underwriting on behalf of their own insurance paper. Correct. Okay. Okay. So that, you know, just anybody out there that maybe doesn't understand when we, we throw around the term direct writer <laughs> yeah, right, or right, MGU, right, what yeah. that means. And, you know, a direct writer in, in itself, like you said, is separate from a buka who, mm-hmm. you know, the direct writer is writing the stop loss, Correct. but they're not doing the administration or any of those things as well. So that's mm-hmm. what separates them. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of those three channels. Yep. Um, so, you know, MGU space, I'm curious, um, you know, you, you said you, you spent some time at a direct writer and you, you liked this space, what was it where you're like, I want to go out and do this on my own? Yeah. I, I'd love to hear that story. <laughs> so uh, we started, or I, me and a couple other guys started Pace Underwriters back in 2017. Okay. And it's interesting, and again, as I said earlier, I had come from an MGU. Uh, I had worked in an MGU called Perico, which was my father's MGU. And he had sold to HCC in 2009, and we had we had become a direct writer as Perico. Okay. And the experience with HCC was a fine one. It was good. Um, gained a lot of experience there. But I always had this itch. At some point, I would go back to the MGU world because I just enjoyed it. I just enjoyed it, – it felt, it felt more intimate to me. Okay. Um, and it goes back to kind of the, the direct writer is the big corporation, right? And there's, there's merit to the big corporation. They swing a massively huge hammer. Mm-hmm. You know, they can get a lot of things done. When you work for a big player, they can, they can move mountains. Mm-hmm. And as an MGU, you can't. <laughs> but, but, what, but what you lose in kind of, I guess for lack of a better word, sway, you just pick up and you get this intimate community of people and you definitely feel like you're all rowing the same direction. That's cool. Because yeah. you're all in it together. I, you know, when we started, we had zero dollars of annual mm-hmm. premium. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's no greater motivator. Yeah, well, the goose egg that's on the board, right? It's yeah. a literal goose egg yes. for the whole company. Yeah, yes. that's a like, all right, let's, let's, yeah. let's try to figure this out. Yeah. So I'd always wanted to get back into that space and kind of, you know, the stars align, so to speak. And I, I had been in the business long enough where I knew a lot of good people who were very good at what they do. And I'm not one to sit there and raise my hand and say, yep, I'm going to do it all myself. Mm-hmm. What I like to do is surround myself with really, really sharp, good people mm-hmm. that know what they're doing. And you say, you know what? We're not here to be overlords. We're here to let you do what you do. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to take with some people. Mm-hmm. And 
off we went. Cool. And so what year was that when you started? Pace? That was 2017. 2017. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and then recently, you know, obviously you were representing a couple of different papers mm-hmm. at the time. And mm-hmm. recently um, I, I saw the announcement. So yep. what, what happened with Companion? So we sold to Companion Life Insurance Company. Okay. Um, and and what, what we are now considered with them is what's called an owned MGU. Okay. So we continue with our own branding. So we maintain our pace, I guess, uh, pace identity. But we now write on companion paper. But the but the logistics of a lot of it, I mean, it's really we're still operating as Pace the MGU. So it's kind of it's it's interesting for for me personally. It's kind of one of these you know Lion King moments, right? Like Circle of Life. <laughs> like you started a TPA and then you go to an MGU and you work there for a little while and then you go to a direct writer and you work there for a little while and then you circle back and you start your own MGU and then after that you kind of get into this world where you're a little bit of both. Yeah, you've kind of got a direct writer swing with an MGU attitude. That's cool. And that's something, you know, even when we started Pace, we were like, hey, listen, we all come from direct writers. Some of us come from MGUs. We bring this wealth of experience in and there's good in that and there's bad in that. And we tried to emphasize the good and minimize the bad, right? Mm -hmm. So now as Pace, we just continue on and say, okay, yep, we're still privately, or probably shouldn't say privately labeled. That's not right. We're still labeled as an MGU in the marketplace. People Mm -hmm. still say, hey, where's my Pace quote? Yep. They don't say, where's my companion quote? Yep. And I think that's something the that companion has done a brilliant job of recognizing to say, I don't need to rock that boat because that boat's sailing along. And goes back to my analogy earlier. They're all rowing the same direction. Yeah. You know, I have employees that have come with me in, in previous stops and things like that. They're gung ho to continue on with pace. And I'm like, hey, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Well, that's cool that, that, you know, sometimes those those acquisitions or I don't yeah. think considered acquisition happens where you don't always get the same level of autonomy. You don't get to conduct business as usual. Right. You have people asking questions like, well, what does this mean for my job and things like yeah, that? Absolutely. So really cool that, you know, obviously you guys were in a good situation. You built a great brand and then, you know, you got to continue to conduct on, on that brand, which is really yeah. cool. But talk to me about maybe some of the early stages. You mentioned oh, the, the goose egg on the board, but like, <laughs> what's it like standing up an MGU in a competitive marketplace? Like, you like know, it, <laughs> I look back on it and I'm kind of, I'm almost a little, um, it's a little bit of like a pat on my own back, but also like what on earth were you thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many moving parts, mm-hmm. right, to any business. And when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a small MGU and, and there's just things inherently you don't know. And and so like we had an intermediary that it represented us and helped us with the reinsurance. And then I had some carrier relationships already in place okay. um, of people that I knew, not necessarily in place, but just people I'd known from being in the business. And so and starting it while it was massively daunting because you're sitting there going, Oh gosh, you know, this may work and this may not work. Um, which just a a quick aside to that. Um, we were starting it and I was talking to somebody in the business at the time and went out and had a beer or something. And the guy says, man, I cannot believe you decided to start one this year. (laughs) Thanks buddy. Was (laughs) there a particular reason why he said that? Because he was just saying, he's like, it's a competitive marketplace. Uh, you know, the, the direct writers are the ones that kind of swallow up a lot of the premium. And, but, but the one thing that always kind of kept me coming back was, um, my dad used to have this great analogy because he was a small MGU himself. And he used to say, say, I'll let the big guys go whale hunting all day and I'll take all the minnows. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is we, we targeted a niche of, hey, you know what? We know the small to mid-sized market really, really well. We know what we're doing. We have fantastic relationships with fantastic producers that have been 
fantastic to us at, at various stops and hopefully that translates into this. And so we had confidence in that. So I would say while it was daunting and terrifying and, oh my gosh, you know, where's this going to go? We kind of had a confidence in our head of if we just keep doing what we're doing and we know what we're doing, then ultimately the path should work out. Okay. Now, maybe it, you know, define workout, you know, it's successful. Hey, I wrote 5 million is successful. Hey, I wrote a hundred million mm -hmm. to us. Successful was like, let's just write good business and grow. That's yep. it. And so you write one case turns into two, turns into five, turns into 10. And after about, about 12 months in, we, we realized we, we thought, okay, we've done something good here. We've That's done awesome. something good. I, I imagine, you know, as a, you know, I grew up in a household that was uh, entrepreneurial and my dad runs mm -hmm. a, a business and has for about 30 years. You know, of course, being in the, the organization I am now, right, there's an entrepreneurial feel to what we're doing. Sure. And, um, it's, 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 it's invigorating. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes it's very daunting, like you mentioned <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, but, you know, also it's like, man, the, the, the level of satisfaction when things go right, right? Yeah. The, the sense of accomplishment where you've been churning and chugging away for mm -hmm. a long time and all of a sudden that contract lands. Or like you said, you got 10, 12, 15 cases and you're going you know what, we're actually, maybe weren't as dumb as we thought. And we, Absolutely. Yeah, we figured we're going to figure this thing out. Yeah. Uh, it's not always linear. There's bumps and bruises yeah. along the way, but um, I love just kind of hearing about that. Y'all had Dr. Bricker on here last time mm -hmm. who started Compass and he built it, I think over about 12 or 13 years and kind of a similar story that he had of just, you go out there, you bootstrap it and you, you figure it out and, eventually you go, well, this actually might, <laughs> might yeah, work. So absolutely. kudos, kudos to you, man. So, oh, thanks. so, um, from a broker perspective, we've talked MGU and we've talked, mm -hmm. um, you know, pace, let's just talk stop loss for a minute. So sure. like shopping stop loss, talk to me about that, that the conversation you're having with a broker, somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I want some stop loss. What, you know, talk to me about that data transfer and the communication that happens for that. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I mean, I think, I think with the RFP process, I think I, first off it's, it's, we work in a business that's the law of large numbers, right? So um, an MGU or a direct writer, you, what you're looking to do is close two to 5% of what you quote. Okay. Okay. So, and you know, a bad year, maybe two, a great year, maybe five, maybe even be north of five. And I've, I've run that gamut. I've been on the low side of that. I've been on the high side of that. So to use a basketball analogy, we want to be volume shooters. So you can't write the business if you can't quote it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So you go out to Charlie broker or, or Susie TPA or whomever. And you say, Hey, listen, would love to have an opportunity Here's who I represent as carriers. You know, you kind of give them your elevator pitch. Yep. You know, I, I work with this carrier and that carrier. They're A-rated. Uh, we pay our claims here. You know, we'll, we'll get you turned around in five to seven days and blah, 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 blah. And that all sounds great, and that's your that's your quick pitch. And, hey, we'll turn your quote around in three days and quicker if you need it. Or, you know, you just, yeah. you're just you're wanting to kind of get the bears well, yeah, in the door. Yeah, understood. Yeah, I mean, it is, like you said, that there's, there's the initial step is getting the opportunity, right? right. The very first step is I've got activity. Okay. Right. So right. then, yeah, so you're doing that pitch and then the activity is coming in. So, mm -hmm. you know, going through the, the motions with the broker, getting to the point, you know, talk to me about the, you know, the process of triaging and, and firming and selling. I mean, just, I like to know kind of the inner workings sure. and the folks that don't know the space, mm -hmm. understand the challenges and the opportunities that are in the quoting process itself. Sure. For you. Yeah. So it's interesting. And, and, and there, there's also, it's, it, with the MGUs and the carriers, there's the the MGUs are kind of thought of as the as the smaller players in the self funded space. The direct writers are the are the are the uh, bigger. Mm -hmm. With brokers, you have the same thing. You have alphabet houses. You have bigger brokerages, uh, Mercers, Marshes, Lockton's. You know those are the those are your big players. And then you have those kind of local brokers or regional brokers. 
And what you're really trying to do is you want to have a mix from both, right? You'd like to go with the big guy, but you, but you know that the middle guy can get you every bit as much as the big guy. So we, and I can use my own context. I've worked in environments where it was alphabet shops all day. And you said, yep, that's who we're targeting. And that's all we want. Or it was the, or, or where I've been now, or where I was previous to my last employer, which was, Hey, we want the small to midsize guy. And really our pitch to, to, to somebody would be, Hey, send me five, send me 10, mm-hmm. send me three, send me whatever you got just so I can take a look. Cause that's kind of how you start built that building block process. Right? So somebody sends you in an RFP and then you say, okay, that's great. But you only gave me six months of data. I really need 18 months. I really need two years or it's coming off fully insured. Cause there's all kinds of, as you know, oh, yeah. there's a million different variables to this. So you spend the first three months, four months with somebody just getting comfortable with each other. Like if you can write one out of the box, great. You know, sometimes that happens. I call those unicorns, but generally it takes a handful of RFPs for everybody to get comfortable with each other and say, Oh, okay. They don't want to lock a case. Meaning, I don't need any more case requirements. They don't want to lock a case more than ni- less than 90 days before the effective date or no more than 90 days above the effective date. And everybody has little different rules. Mm-hmm. Every carrier, every MGU, all the way to the bookas. Everybody has a little different rule to what they want to do. So you go through that feeling out process. And then what you try to, what you try to find within that is you start to see somebody's quotes. You say, oh, wow, they really focus in on 150 life cases or they focus in on 125s or 300s or thousands or whatever the number may be. And then if you can find one that looks good, then you go, okay, now I can be competitive for you. And you've seen it firsthand. So keep them coming. Maybe let's try to target that type of business, whatever it may be, you know, a, a city or, a, or, or small industrial firm, you know, whatever it may be. And then that's how, you, that's how you build it up. And over the course of time, you'd like to think that if somebody has, if they send you three and you're working through the process and, and the lines of communication are open, they're going to send you three more. Then they're going to send you six more. Then they're going to send you 10 more. And that's how you build, A, the RFP process to get them in. And then go back to the 2 to 5% new business close ratio on what you quote. So you got to keep in mind, you know, it's, it's the old joke. If I quote 100 cases, I'm going to get told, no, 95 to 98 times. So first off, you better be tough. Yeah, yeah. And second off, those 95 to 98, that's 95 to 98 lessons you can learn. That's the way I always viewed it. Yeah. So, yeah, the wins are great. Everybody remembers the wins. What you sometimes forget are those cases that maybe you almost wrote, that you didn't quite write, but you did everything you needed to do to write it. Mm -hmm. Or the producer thought you did everything you needed to do to write it because they're going to remember that on the next one. Yeah. Or at least you hope so. Yeah. And that's how relationships get built. That's how you start to see RFP volume pick up because you go out, you talk to all these people nationwide and you tell them your story and they go, yep, that's great. And there's 80 of you. Okay, (laughs) great. I know there's 80 of me or a hundred or whatever the number may be. Right. But say, but say, you know, we're bigger, better, faster, stronger. Okay. Prove it. Yeah. And that's how you start proving it is in the RFP process. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, interesting kind of side note to that. Um, what I experienced as being, I didn't start in, in sales uh, rep world until after 30. So I was an analyst before this, mm-hmm. understood stop loss and self-funding and the technical numbers and those sorts of things. But I didn't have the sales background, any formal training. So what I did was go, all right, well, I'm going to do the very basics, right? I'm going to show up. 
I'm going to respond immediately. Mm-hmm. They ask for me a quote. I'm going to turn around as fast as possible. The communication is going to be good. I'll figure out the sales, you know, tactics as you go, but also just kind of being a responsible human being. And True. you, you, I actually discovered how often people would compliment, oh, well, thanks for getting back to me. As if some guy that's job was out there selling or gal that was selling stop loss wasn't getting back to their, their prospects. I'm like, I couldn't even fathom, but it is the case, right? Absolutely. And so if I could just handle the basics and control what I could control over time, mm-hmm. like you said, that rapport would be built. I'd establish myself as, you know, oh, I can go to that guy and he'll, he'll get things done. Um, so I just, I experienced that even though I worked for a really big direct writer, mm-hmm. I worked in a smaller market covering for them and I didn't have the background. So I just kind of did similar tactics as you did. Just mm-hmm. give me some cases and let me show you what we're all about. That's and right. I think even, you know, oftentimes we, we forget, I don't, I don't think you probably forget this, but we are in a relationship business still, no matter how Absolutely. much technology, no matter how good the brand is, you're still doing business with people. So I imagine a lot of the people early on that you place business with was because they knew Jeff, right? Absolutely. Or they knew Edgar or whoever. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. And so that you kind of hang your hat on who are the people that I could go to early on that gives me some at bats, hopefully write a case or two. Um, but you know, was there a period where you go, all right, well, the, the brand is being established. People are coming to pace, you know, more, uh, you know, is, was there something where you're like, okay, we're like, this is kind of cool. We're doing this. Yeah. I think it was, you know, it's funny. We, we started in April of 17, that first year, which we really, I was going to ask you that. So April 17, so were you having conversations in April or once, once April 1st, we were, we were pace. And so then that's whenever the real conversations start with any, you know, that's whenever we told everybody, Hey, cause you know, we're, we're not over there. We're over here now. And we, we had targeted January of 18 to say, okay, that's why we started in the spring. So we'd have time to ramp into it. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking up after January and going, wow, like we're, we're, looks like we're successful. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from a producer that I hadn't worked with, uh, probably mid January of 18 and said, hi, I'm, you know, Joe. And, uh, so I've seen a few of your quotes out there and just really want to know more about pace. And it, and it was like, all right. Was there a tear that maybe took there, hey, there, <laughs> a little bit of a fist pump, kind yeah. of, a, kind of that yeah, yeah. Uh, Napoleon dynamite's brother. Yeah. Just, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, I think that for me was a moment where, you know, we, we knew we had been doing good things, but then to get that feedback from the marketplace when suddenly we had producers and, and, and they weren't the only one we got other calls and it was like, all right. Like, I think we, I think we've, we've found something here, but you to back to your point earlier, all relationship driven mm-hmm. wouldn't have started if we didn't have relationships. Cause we had to have, we had to like for me personally, cause I'm basically the quote unquote sales guy. Um, if I can't start this, if there's not relationships in place and then relationships are one like, like, Hey, I know Spencer, Spencer's a good dude. Yeah. But is, but will Spencer, write a case with me and actually give me money to do that. Mm-hmm. Those are two different things. Two yeah. very different things. Yeah. I mean, I got a lot of friends, but I got a lot of friends I won't loan money to, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah. so it was, it was one of those things where it was like, suddenly we realized those relationships that had been built for me personally over 20 years were coming to fruition and paying off. And that's whenever it really just went, bing, like, here we go. And then post-January and then have new producers calling us and kind of that – snowball of momentum kicks in Mm -hmm. and, and just, you know, we got to our year anniversary, which was April of, of, uh, 18. And, and I remember we all went out to dinner as a, as a company, very intimate setting. And just, 
let's just keep doing what we're doing, guys. You know, I mean, our joke was let's do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. So let's just trudge forward. Well, yeah, it's like you don't have to reinvent the wheel either. No. You know, it's a $23 billion some odd industry, Absolutely. right? There's enough to go around if you're doing the right things. Exactly. You'll get uh, your piece of that. That It's a giant pie. Um, so, Huge. Yeah. But I mean, it, there are also some, you know, obviously there's acquisitions and mm-hmm. some don't work out. Of course, I don't want to make that like, oh, it's an easy industry to no, get in and no, everybody no, should no, do it. No, yeah. no. Um, but so, uh, yeah, I'm curious from your perspective, you, you've obviously done the MGU, did the big direct writer, went back to the MGU and built it on your own. What are your perspectives about the different distribution channels that are available? So direct-to-broker, TPA, GA. You don't have to maybe weigh in specifically in your opinion, but, you know, I know those different sources come, and as an MGU who's receiving Mm -hmm. requests from those sources, you know, how do you guys treat those? You know, it's interesting. We we don't discriminate. So we we very much are of the opinion of if you have production and you need help placing, you know, that that case or that whatever – we're happy to talk to you. So there's some people that are very averse, like for example, and it, and it's not, you know, people say, okay, I know what a broker is. Okay. Yeah. I know what a TPA is. Ah, but these GAs, right. Mm -hmm. General agents or broker brokers, whatever anybody wants to call them. Whereas I look at that and say, that's another production source. Sure. So I'd rather than look down my nose or think ill of it, let's figure out a way to make that work because if I can help them, that's another relationship. That's another building block. That's another, you know, because as you know, as well as I do, you know, in this business, the names don't change, just the business cards. So sure. somebody's at a GA or a broker or a TPA, they might end up over at that GA someday or back over at this brokerage someday or back over at this TPA someday. So we very much take a, for lack of a better word, even Steven approach to say, we just want to, you know, I, I used to say it to people all the time in my office. I say, we work with those who want to work with us. You know, you, yeah, you can go out and you can call and you can prospect and you can do all this stuff and that's great. But sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you go to a producer and, the, and they say, you're just not for us and we're just not for you. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. But if somebody is showing an interest and wants to write business with us, I, I'm going to be the last person to say, nah. Because of the way you're branded or labeled, I'm not going to do that. Sure. That that seems short-sighted to me because as we continue to talk about, this business continues to evolve. You know, it, it if you looked at it back in the day, right, and it goes, you know, you've got PPOs and you've got, and then PPOs were the thing. And then there's been RBP, reference-based pricing, and then there's been transparency models, and there's been, uh, all, you know, behind the scenes and repricing and vendors that just do that. I mean, those things didn't exist, and now there's all these little niches within this business that exist. So it's constantly evolving. And so I think sometimes the thought process of an MGU or a direct writer needs to evolve too. Yeah. Well, I was curious if you'll get into it. I know we didn't really plan to get too much down this path, but I'd be curious. You know, we, we talked about, well, distribution channels are one thing, right? You get the number of opportunities. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily want to discriminate against those coming in the door and the opportunity to write business through new channels. Also, there's the other side of this that are not a lot of people think about from a loss ratio perspective. So kind of, yes, it's one to get them from certain sources, but are those sources ended up being profitable? So how do you, curiosity, not necessarily the specific source, yeah. but how do you weigh that balance of, yes, I could write this case, but there's maybe a high likelihood it's going to go upside down. And that's, you know, and that's an interesting conversation and that's a daily one. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had, I had 10 of those today, you know, where you're looking at, a, at an opportunity and, and weighing, for lack of a better word, the risk to the reward. And it goes back a little bit to what you were saying when we were talking about MGUs versus direct riders. Sometimes the way people will knock an MGU is to say, well, you're just fee-based. 
So you don't really care how it runs. And that's a complete misnomer because yeah, I do because I have reinsurers that if they don't make money, then you know what? I probably won't have an MGU anymore. So I have a very vested interest, right? So, so in looking at risk, you have to evaluate risk logically and, you know, and for lack of a better word, pick your shots. And so, you know, you're looking at a case and let's say you have a producer and the producers run great for two years and has a bumpy year. Loss ratio gets a little upside down. Well, that's time for the MG or the carrier to really do some self-evaluating and have a conversation. That's where the relationship comes back in. Hey, I had these three cases and they ran a little rough and, you know, I'm going to need XYZ rate, or if I can't get that, then I might, we might need to move on from that one. Like candid conversations like that, mm-hmm. you then avoid on the back end of, of, of people, you know, the dirty, no good insurance company, which sometimes gets, you know, is the label, right? I mean, you, you hear it nationally. Yep. And I think a lot of that is because things are not conveyed clearly. And I think, you know, when you're evaluating risk, it's the same thing. If I can help you, I'll help you. If I can't, I'm going to tell you that too, because it doesn't do me any good to take a big old flyer on a case or reduce my rate or, or absorb a laser or some known risk or whatever, and then look up later and be like kicking myself. And now for lack of a better word, now I'm going to take it out on the producer because then you're looking at the producer going, I wrote this case and why did I write that case? Yeah. Well, you wrote the case because at the time you thought it was a good decision and maybe you tipped yourself a little bit too aggressive. And that's whenever you have to recognize in yourself and say, okay, come back from the ledge a little bit. That's one. And then two, have a conversation with the producer and say, Hey, listen, I went hard at this one last year. I'm not gonna be able to do the same thing again this year. And those are hard conversations, but those are conversations that get born out of relationships. And they have to be had too. I mean, I think I, I discovered this um, after a while. Is like you don't necessarily get to write the cases you want to write. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got a, a willing buyer over here, and all I have to do is X, and we can write this case. And oh, cool! I'm going to get my you know sales comp on it. And <laughs> yeah, yay! Right. But that doesn't mean all the the interests are aligned in that situation. Correct. And I discovered pretty early on, I can only control so much. I can get the case there, and I can try to win jump balls or do my, you know, sales, uh, process. But at the end of the day, I don't make the ultimate decision as to which way it goes. I've had many conversations and I'm sure you've had this as well, where broker comes back to you and says, man, I really wanted to place that with you, but the client did X or did Y instead. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, you know, I got you there and just remember that. And next time we'll hopefully win that, then that, uh, case. So misconceptions, I think you did touch on a misconception earlier, but what are the common ones that early on somebody doesn't do business with an MGU why are they going to say, Jeff, no, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. And I think the, I think the single biggest one is the one that I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. which is risk taking. And I think that a lot of times people look at an MGU and say, well, you don't take any risk. Well, first off, as we've talked about here, there's inherent risk of starting a business. That's, that's in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an MGU, you're representing, if, if, you're, if, if you're an MGU that's worth your salt, and I think the vast majority are, you do not want to lose money. You don't want to lose a reinsurer money. You don't want to lose a carrier money because they are your partners. Because just like downstream, it's the broker and the TPA. Upstream, it's the carrier and the reinsurer. And I've been in, I've done MGUs for a lot of years and been direct riders a lot of years. The good years, man, you bask in them because you're going to have a bad year in this business. There's going to be the fluky claim. I think we've established over the last 12 months, you know, weird things happen. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, the, the, the MGU has a vested interest in the risk. So I think that's the single biggest misconception. What about the claim side? I hear that often kind of as, oh, well, can they pay your claims? Are they going to pay them timely? You know, yeah. can they handle the big one? Right. I think is a, so did you hear that quite a bit? Oh yeah. yeah okay. Oh yeah. So and how do you, how do you kind of, you know, massage that or handle that? Because some of it's probably slightly true, but sure. some of it's maybe just, Hey, we're talking about it. And somebody else told you this because they're trying to sell you against an MG, sure. right? which it happens as well. So, you know, what's that process look like? Well, and I think, and I think what you have to do, and I think MGUs, this is, the, and you're exactly right. It's a, it's a struggle when our people say, Oh, well, you know, you don't have the authority or you don't have this or you don't have that. And what I would say back to them is say, go ask everybody you work with, what their authority is. Go ask everybody you work with what their turnaround time is. It's going to be a pretty small window in a variance. You know, it's going to, you're not going to have somebody that says, yeah, I can't, I can't pay a claim above a hundred thousand dollars. Just like you're not going to have somebody that says, that says I can pay every claim up to 5 million. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a discretionary window in there that all MGUs and carriers are kind of subject to. And that's kind of a, for lack of a better word, peek behind the curtain, Mm -hmm. because even at a direct writer, you still got to get approvals. Even if they're just internal, you still got to get approvals. Our, our, our approvals as an MGU, we talk to a carrier or a reinsurer. If you're a direct writer, you're talking to the head of claims or maybe the president of the company to make sure that, that you're within where you should be. So, so the authority thing and the turnaround and things like that, that was a conversation we had a vast majority of the time up front. And we had put the mechanisms in place to make it work. And then... Some of it, it comes, again, you know, I think the, the, the theme of this pod is relationships. They got to trust that whenever you're telling them, I'm going to pay your claims, you're going to pay the claims. Well, I think that I think that also is an opportunity for you, uh, especially with local relationships you have. And I think I even stressed that in the MG video I did is like, you could actually talk to Jeff, right? Like you yes. could talk to one of the co-founders of the, yeah. of the company. And so you don't always get that, you know, in these giant corporations that have a lot of vertical, uh, you know, integration. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of layers of who to go to. And maybe eventually you get to somebody that can have the authority to do it. You know, somebody, if they know you and are doing business with you, also can come to the guy that has a heavily influence on the outcome of that and have yes. that conversation, which it doesn't always go their way, but at least they get honest. Here's what happens. Here's what I can do. Here's why we can't do this. And they're getting it directly from the source, which yeah. I think is something that you do get with a relationship or with an organization like yours that you may not get in the big, big companies. And so I am certainly fascinated by yeah. that. So if somebody was coming to, you know, looking in the stop loss space and you're looking for good options, you know, what is, is there a sweet spot or is there the, you mentioned kind of middle market brokers and those sorts of things, but you know, what is the type of risk of, of what you want to share openly like that you guys like to, I mean, everybody has a different niche. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we pride ourselves on small to midsize. And, and what so, would you define? What do you define as, as small? And- I'd call it 75 to 500. Okay. And you know, you, you said earlier, uh, Spencer, you know, $23 billion, right? So there's some huge ones out there and there are carriers that are perfectly suited to do that. And we can take our shots there when needed, but really it's the small to midsize because that's really when you look across the country, what drives the country, mm-hmm. small to midsize businesses, you know, some of them are five lives, some of them are 50 lives, some of them are 200 lives. I mean, it's crazy to think that we kind of consider small to midsize 75, 75 to 500, but that it really is. So that's kind of the space we live in as pace. That's kind of the space. Now we have cases that are much larger than that, but that's where we live primarily. And, and sometimes whenever I'm having a conversation and somebody says, 
you know, I've got a, I've got a, you know, five, 5,000 life cases. I'll say, absolutely send them to me. And yeah, I want to take a look at them. And yeah, I'd like to see what I can do to help you on those cases. But I also know that at a case that size, the shark circle. Oh yeah. There's going to be a lot of attention on a $5 million premium, $10 million premium absolutely. case. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so, so, you know, we, we try to, we try to be as, I guess, uh, selectively aggressive as we can. I think that's probably what most people do. You know, you try to find your spots, you try to find a niche, you try to find a producer, you try to find an area of the country that maybe you can strike and, and, and be hot in. And, and what's nice with our business, everybody feeds a little different spot, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so we may go into an area and, and rip it up. And I could talk to a buddy of mine in the business who says, man, I don't have any success in the, you know, Southwest. And I'm like, oh, we have tremendous success. Mm-hmm. Well, might be because we have a network evaluated that's that, that, that particular producer really works with or, I mean, there's so many little moving nuanced pieces to this business. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier, you know, whenever you tell somebody, Oh, I work in insurance. Oh, what kind of insurance? Self-funded. Well, what's that? Oh, it's this, you know, it's spec and ag. And it's, I just told my, I just told my sold insurance because that conversation was too long to try to explain it all most of the time. <laughs> correct. Correct. And, and you, and you look at it and you say, yeah, I sell insurance. And a lot of people do. Uh-huh. And a lot of people have success in it in a lot of different areas of the country with a lot of different types of companies. Yeah. And, and that's what makes to me, that's what makes this fun. Yeah. You know, I could go tomorrow and call on a producer in Michigan and have a perfect synergy with them right out of the shoot and, and, and hit it off and start doing great and mushroom from there. Or I could call on the same guy in Michigan and have nowhere to go and say, oh, yeah, that's not the best day for us. Okay, I need to reevaluate some things. Yeah. So you're constantly learning. You're constantly evolving. And it goes back to, you know, you talk about, as I was saying earlier, the MGU being kind of the, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on efficiencies. And so, you know, those are decisions we can make in real time. They're not going up a chain. They're not going down a chain. They're, hey, I called on these three producers, and I got these RFPs, and I got this, you know, it's real-time feedback. And then you're getting an answer straight from generally the president of the MGU or the CEO of the MGU that same day that says yay or nay. That's cool. Yeah. And that, and that goes back to what you were talking about, which is it's nice. You know, I, I love getting calls from somebody that says, Hey, I don't know where to remit premium. Cool. Uh, let me hear, here's our address. Yeah. You know, and people go, wow, I was talking, you know, you know, the president got on the phone and, and was talking premium remittance with me. And I'm like, cause we're all rolling the same way, man. Yeah. That's very cool. And so all right, we'll talk, we talked, Past, we've talked present. Yeah, I like to talk future industry, right? Yeah. What, do you, what do you see is changing about the stop loss space? Boy. Uh, you know, I know, diff- difficult question. You know, I, you know, maybe I'll give them why I, re- I ask that question. Yeah. I see a lot of companies coming up with ways to access data better, smaller mm. group data, um, analytics, or different metrics that they calculate using census. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are popping up for the space that's a little bit further down the slope mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to give those people potentially good solutions to get good stop loss or get, you know, move self-funded, whereas the data doesn't, didn't exist uh, a few years ago or the access to the data didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I am seeing changing. I mean, is there anything in particular you think is going to morph about this business, especially after COVID too as well? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think there's a couple of things. One, I think, I, I think the element that can't be downplayed is technology. And self-funded or, or any insurance business, right? You talk to the, you know, the people that were the generation before me, it was all calculators and, and, you know, and paper and, and files and, you know, you had all your office, all you needed was storage, right? Because all you had was, was, uh, 
RFPs and claim files. <laughs> like when I started, I was 16 years old and I'd, I'd work the summers literally just filing claims, not, not filing them like to the carrier, but filing them physically in, in a, a file, file cabinet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's where that came from. Like filing a claim. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Filing a claim, right. but in the cabinet. So, uh, you know, you've seen that progress and you've seen technology. I mean, you're seeing there's vendors out now that, that, that do RFP quote processing in that, you know, that, that'll help you do that. There's, there's people that are looking for transparency and it has to pertain to online and being able to access databases to say, how much does something cost at one facility versus another? I think what the real push in our business is, is arming people with knowledge. And I think what happens is, is I think somebody, somebody a long time ago drew the analogy and said, you never walk in the store and buy a pair of jeans and not ask them how much it was. You wouldn't just walk in and say, yeah, I'll take those. Well, let me know later how much it costs. Mm -hmm. That's what we do in health insurance. And that happens too often. And so there's between technology, I mean, get an app on your phone, right? You look at the app and, 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 you can look and see how much uh, procedure costs. There's, vin- there, I mean, there's literally vendors. Oh, That's yeah, what they, they do. Time, yeah. You know, and I think that, I think arming people with information is key on a go forward because as the national conversation continues to move toward single payer healthcare, national healthcare, all of these things. And, and for people in our business, th- those are like spooky bad words, right? Because you're like, oh gosh, single payer and it's the government. And now, I'm, I'm out of business. A, A, I don't think that'll ever happen. That's just one man's opinion. But B, I think we have, you know, our, our business has evolved from only being direct writers and then an MGU space was created because they filled a niche. Mm-hmm. Then as you move forward and you said PPO, you know, there was, there was no networks and PPOs filled a niche. Then PPOs had their little, you know, they, they continue on, but then reference-based pricing fills a niche. Mm-hmm. Now you're seeing a niche being f- filled in with technology. Yeah. And, and isn't it funny that, you know, we say that, you know, and we, we obviously are in the tech space, but whatever reason, the insurance industry seems to be the slowest adopter of technology yes. for whatever reason. And I realize big dollars are on the line and that's mm-hmm. part of it. And big corporations with big budgets and big bottom lines are on, you know, that you can't just go and, oh yeah, we're going to throw our entire block of business on this new tech and see right. what happens. Right. So I get that there's a, a resistance to that, but also it's like, why is this particular industry so slow? You know, and that's a good question. And I, and I, and I think, and I, I think really what it is, is, uh, and it's going to sound stupid, but people in this business have always liked paper. They want to physically say, Hey, I want to look at my quote. Give me a piece of paper to look at my quote, put it in a binder so I can look at my quote. Yeah. Well now we've we've evolved to a PDF. So that's a little bit better. We've evolved to a PDF, (laughs) which is very helpful. And then editable PDFs. But, uh, but you know, you now, now I'm seeing more, I've had more calls with brokers where they say, Hey, just, just email it to me. I'm going out and, and they're going to have a Chromecast or a fire stick in their office. And I'm just going to throw it on the screen. Okay. Like, and yeah, that, you know, Oh yeah, I'm super cool. Right. I'm throwing it on the thing, but you, you've, you've, you've eliminated you, you've, you, you're forward thinking. Well, that you actually, I mean, there is actually some tech evolved to that. You're not printing out a, an actual physical, you're not faxing, right? right? Like, right. And, you know, we even use the term carrier paper, right? It's still called carrier paper, paper. at the end of the day. Absolutely. There's a contract with four corners and the paper says that. So mm-hmm. I, I get it. Um, yeah, just kind of, it's, it's also fascinating as somebody that's in this space, but in the tech side of this space, the, the level of... Um, we're not complacency, but the level of adaptation to a process that's not all that great 
but you figured it out and you know how to use it and it's always been done that way. And you're like, okay, well, we'll just keep doing that because, right. because I know how to do it at least, right? Yeah. Or I can hire around it if I need to hire more people. So, mm-hmm. you know, just it, it's interesting getting it through this lens now and looking at like, why is, why is it like there's so much resistance in yeah. this in this world? Um, but anyway, so we talked about the future. You know, I, I really do. I, I appreciate you coming. And, oh, and this, was, this was a lot of fun. So anything that you want to leave the folks that were listening to this today about the MGU space or about what you do, um, you know, a couple minutes just going to wrap things up. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would just, you know, I think everybody, I, I'm not one of those that says you should only work with MGUs or you should only work direct riders, you should only work with Bugas. I would say keep an open mind and find those relationships that work best for you. And, and I think, you know, I think, I think we've said relationship in this pod a hundred times. Yeah. I'll just call this the relationship. This is the rela- yeah, yeah. Yeah. People, people are very like, confused. I might get better viewership. People want to talk relationships all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's caller. You're on, but, yeah. uh, uh, but it's, it's one of those things where I think ev- there, there's a niche for everyone. And, you know, there's MGUs out there that are, two, three, four, five million dollars, but you know what? They feed a nook. Mm-hmm. There's MGUs that are a hundred plus million. There's direct riders that are five hundred million. Oops, sorry. They're that are five hundred million plus. But all of them, when you ask them, they would tell you, oh yeah, we're really competitive in XYZ. Or oh yeah. we're really competitive in this area of the country. Yeah. And so I you know, back to the relationship thing. There's somebody out there for everyone. Yep. And there's there's some people the MGU model just makes more sense for them. They yeah. like the small efficient because they might be, they might, it might feel like they're looking at a mirror. You know, somebody at a bigger alphabet house might say, wow, the bigger carrier really appeals to me. So everybody has their niche that they can find and that they can work in. And so it's just building that relationship to figure that out. So my, you know, I love the MGU space. I'm painfully biased toward it, towards Fair it. Enough. For, yeah, as for, you should be. For obvious reasons. Yeah. But I understand the merit of all, and it and it's the same whether you're talking GAs, brokers, and TPAs, or you're talking direct riders and MGUs. There's enough out here for all of us. Yeah. Well, that's just, you mentioned niche a couple of times. I heard the term niches get riches. I don't know if you've heard, <laughs> I've not I, heard I was that. like, man, that's actually perfect. So maybe we'll just leave it at that. Niches get riches. But I Jeff, like that. again, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you talking a tool a little bit with me Absolutely. up front and MGUs Always. after that. And hopefully once again, uh, when things open up, we'll get to, to check out a show. Absolutely. Right. And this has been, this has been a blast, Spencer. I appreciate you having me. My pleasure, man. All right. All right, brother. Thank you guys. Bye.